0: Go ahead and open your Bibles with me this evening to 1 Peter chapter 2 as we continue the message I began this morning entitled, Injustice and Glory. I want you to remember that Peter is writing to those Christians who were in the midst of experiencing great injustice. Now, the text that we're looking at in particular, verses 18 through 25 of chapter 2, deals first of all with masters and servants, yet... The audience, the overall audience that Peter is writing to, involves much more than that because it wasn't just servants that were suffering at the hands of unjust masters. It was Christians of all manner suffering under the oppression and the persecution of the Roman government. And so Peter is writing to encourage these believers. He's writing to help them to remember Christ's faithfulness and to instruct them to live lives of holiness in accordance with God's word. We have been redeemed by Christ Jesus and given the assurances of future glory through Peter's writings. And he continues to instruct us to live out our life by pursuing obedience to his word, by pursuing obedience to the pattern which he has left for us, so that our faith might be on display for others to see, and so that Christ might be glorified through us. You know, God is supremely concerned about his own glory, and in that concern, he saves us in order that we might reflect that glory to a world in need. He works in us to strengthen us and to conform us into Christ-likeness so that the light of the gospel might shine through us. Now, that is kind of a summary of the whole letter of 1 Peter. This is what Peter does throughout the letter. He reminds us who we are. He reminds us of the promises we have in Christ. And he reminds us us to pursue holiness. And yet, as we go through the letter, we're given so many specific instructions that deal with daily life and how we endure the things that come our way in order that we might be more effective in demonstrating God's glory to others. So the text that we began with this morning is one that begins with submission and exhorts us to perseverance for the sake of Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 18 through 25. Would you please stand with me this evening in honor of the reading of God's word. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, Not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in His steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in His mouth. And while being reviled, He did not revile in return. While suffering, He uttered no threats, but kept entrusting Himself to Him who judges righteously. And He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross, So that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep. But now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Father, I pray as we continue to examine your word to us this evening. That your spirit would just open our hearts to receive instruction. And that you would continue to glorify your name through your word and through our obedience to it. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. As we looked at this text this morning, we saw first of all the essence of the exhortation that Peter gives, that is that Peter that beginning of the command to submit to the masters, whether or not they're just or unjust, and we, we took that and we looked at how that applies to us today. In one context would be employee-employer relationships, that servant-master relationship in which we are to submit to those, whether they're good and gentle or whether they're unreasonable, it doesn't really matter. But really, all immediate authority that God places in our life, we're meant to submit to. From the governing authorities, which he began to talking about in verse 13, to those that God places in our life and in, in the workplace, to those that are placed in the home, to those that even, even in just in life when we go out places and, and we, we encounter authorities everywhere we go, right? I mean, you go into a store, there are authorities there that, that we have to respect their authority, right? You ever go somewhere, go into a store or to a restaurant and been treated unfairly? you know, treated unjustly. Right. Well, you know, we have to respond to those situations just like we would to an employer, just like we would to the governing authorities. That is, we submit to their authority and we do what's right in order that God might be glorified through us. We don't respond in accordance with our wounded pride. We don't respond in anger. We don't respond by emotion, but we respond in a way that pleases Christ. That is the essence of what Peter was talking about as he begins this text. But he He wasn't only talking about submission to authority. He's talking about perseverance in suffering, perseverance in injustice. Because through our perseverance, God is glorified. Because when we persevere through difficulty and when we do what's right despite the things that are happening to us, it demonstrates our faith. It shows people that we trust God that we trust him in our circumstances, that we trust him to deal with those who oppress and oppose us, that we trust him with our life. And we're going to obey him regardless of our circumstances because we trust him to do what's right. So Peter expands the expectation of this exhortation in that. As he seeks to point us to the ultimate example, who is Christ himself. And we just began to scratch the surface on that reality this morning, looking to Christ as our great example of suffering. Understanding that when we look to the example of Christ who suffered for us, Christ didn't just suffer at the hands of the governing authorities, that he did, and he suffered at the hands of the religious authorities, that he did, but he also suffered at the hands of those who were his equals in society. He suffered at the hands of of those who had no personal authority over him, but they still mocked and ridiculed and spit upon and, and were responsible for what he was enduring. And yet, in all of that, he is our great example. Peter's whole discussion on, submit, on submission is meant to bring us to this point. And even when he continues to talk about submission after this, it's still really all about looking to Christ It's all about seeing who he is and what he's done and then looking to him to be that pattern for us. And in verse 21 he says, for you have been called for this purpose. What purpose is he talking about? Well, just the very thing that we've been looking at, the purpose of persevering. Because it's perseverance, it tells us in verses 19 and 20, it's perseverance in injustice that finds favor with God, that is gracious in the sight of God, that demonstrates God's grace working through us. That's the purpose that he's talking about. God is wanting to demonstrate his glory in our life as we serve him. And as we demonstrate our faith by doing the things which are pleasing to him, we have to continually. Look to him for that instruction. You know, we all face situations and circumstances in which we believe we are treated unfairly. And it's really easy to get caught up in the emotions of the moment. Because, you know, a lot of times we're not, we're not necessarily a thinking people, we're an emotional people. And something happens and we react. But as believers, we need to be very careful about how we react. Instead of responding with emotions, and instead of responding in our pride, we need to look to Christ Jesus, who is given to us as an example for us to follow in His steps. That's what it tells us here in verse twenty-one. Now, that word "example," this is an interesting word in the Greek. It's actually a word that, that literally means an underwriting. And now that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. You think, well, what does that have to do with an example? Well, it actually refers back to how the people would teach their children how to write. And they would place place a sample of writing under parchment so that they could trace over the letters. It was a pattern for them to follow. Christ is the pattern for us to follow. We're to trace his life with our steps, to look at his steps and to follow in those steps. That's the pattern that he has given to us. So Peter points out to us in this pattern as we look to Christ, he points out to us five characteristics, five characteristics of Jesus as an example for us to follow. First, he points us to his suffering. Again, verse 21, For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. His suffering was for us. I mean, we we need to recognize that. When Christ suffered... He suffered for us. So what about when we suffer? Who are we suffering for? Well, we're suffering for Him, right? And, one, and, and But there, there's really more to it than even that. He suffered for us in order that we might suffer for Him. We suffer for His glory and for His sake, but we also suffer and in, I should say endure suffering the way He endured suffering so that we might also be an example as He is an example. So we suffer for His sake and for His glory, but also to be an example to others. Because when we endure suffering, when we endure injustice, when we endure unfairness in a way that pleases God, it demonstrates our faith and his faithfulness. I was uh, reading an, an article earlier um, this afternoon, and I, and I added this in, into my notes because I just thought it, just, it fit really well. But um, a guy by the name of Tim Hansel uh, once wrote, he said, you know, most of the Psalms were born in difficulty. He said most of the epistles were written from prisons. Most of the greatest thoughts of the greatest thinkers of all time had to pass through the fire. Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress from jail. And if you have never read Pilgrim's Progress, you, you need to. It, it's it's, uh, it's pretty straightforward. It's allegory, but it's, it's straightforward, and it, it is a good, solid uh, read and, and just beneficial to us. But he goes on, and he says, Sometimes it seems that when God is about to make preeminent use of a man, he puts him through the fire. You see, we endure suffering for God's glory, just as Christ suffered for God's glory. He's our pattern. He's our example. So we look to him, we see what he did for our sake so that we might also be willing to suffer for him and to continue, as I said, to be an example to others. You know, there's nothing, I don't think there's anything more encouraging for somebody that when you begin to endure some kind of difficulty in your life, some kind of hardship, and, and you have these things going on, and that a, a brother or sister in Christ is able to come alongside you and to share their experience of God's faithfulness. Because as they share what God's done in their life, it gives you courage to endure what you're dealing with. And then as we go through those experiences, then we're called to share our experiences with others, to also to be an example, but also to be an encouragement. Romans 5, 3 and 4, And five reminds us, it says, we exalt in our tribulations knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. God works through our difficulty to produce character and hope in us so not only so that we can glorify Christ, but so that we can also be an example to others. So we are asked to recognize the suffering of Christ, but also to, to recognize his sinlessness. Look at verse 22, he says, He says, "Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth? And while being reviled, he did not revile in return." Christ's." Suffering, this is, this is unmistakable. You know, sometimes when we suffer, sometimes it's just because of our own sin. It's because we've done something wrong. We, we have tendencies to do things that uh, we, we speak sometimes when we ought not to speak. Uh, we respond in, in anger. We respond in, in ways to situations sometimes that as soon as we've reacted, we thought, oh, man, I shouldn't have done that. And there are consequences for us when we do dumb things. But that wasn't the case with Christ. Christ never did anything wrong. Now, I'm sure there were some people that were, that were persecuting him that thought he had this coming. But he never did anything wrong. He was perfectly sinless. Whatever he endured, he endured because of the sin of other people not because of anything he'd done wrong. Sometimes it's hard for us. I think when difficulty comes our way, it's hard for us to know, did I do something? And I think, I think it's good and it's right when difficulty comes our way for us to stop for a second and say, all right, God, <laughs> what, are you, what are you trying to show me? Have, have, I, have I stepped out of line? Have I done something that's offended you? If I have, show me that I might repent and seek your forgiveness And whether I have and whether I haven't, give me grace to endure, to persevere, and to overcome. We need that mindset. We need to understand that while while our suffering sometimes is the result of our sin, it's not always, but sometimes it is. But with Christ, it never was about his sin. It was always about ours. It was always about our sin. He was... Providing God was providing through Jesus a substitutionary sacrifice for the sins of all who would come to him in faith. And Peter expounds on that here in just a minute, and, and I don't want to get too far into this, but it's, it's really all tied together and sometimes when you're when you're going through a passage of scripture and you're trying to, to highlight certain um, emphasis and different things that you, you can end up jumping over into other areas because it all just it all just goes together, and we try to separate it, but it really can't be separated, because what, what Jesus has done, his, his sinlessness, his suffering, his substitution, it's all tied together. And, and what Peter, the imagery that Peter is giving us here, as he speaks of the sinlessness of Christ, and he begins to talk about what Christ accomplished on the cross, and and. and And then on in through verse 24 where he says, for by your wounds you were healed. He's actually drawing imagery from Isaiah 53. Because what Christ accomplished in reality was the fulfillment of God's promises given through the prophets. Not just in Isaiah, but I think in Isaiah more clearly than almost anywhere in the Old Testament. We see it so clearly. In particular, Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6, it says, He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. So that's what we see in Isaiah 53, and then you hear Peter talking about he's, he's committed no sin nor any deceit was found in his mouth and while being reviled did not revile in return while suffering he uttered no threats he kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously he bore our sins and here it is in verses 24 and 25, or verse 24 in particular he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you were healed just as isaiah emphasizes the sinlessness of christ and the and the the sacrifice of christ for our sake peter's saying listen This Christ who came, who's been given an example to you, he is the fulfillment of the promises of God. He is the one that we need to base our life on. He is the one that we look to. You see, the sinlessness of Jesus is imperative to understanding what God accomplished through him. But it also serves to remind us that we have been called to strive for holiness because he was sinless and he is our example We are to strive for that same reality. Striving for holiness, even when we're suffering injustice. Respond in a way that honors God. Next, we see the example of his steadfastness. Still here in verse 23, but there at the end. It says, Well, let's just look at the whole thing. It says, while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And that's really how we endure. That's how we persevere, the same way Jesus did, by entrusting ourselves to him who judges righteously. And you've got to love the wording here because Peter, he's speaking of Christ, and, and remember, I mean, Jesus is God in human flesh. He's not just a mere mortal. He's the eternal God. He's in human flesh. He's sinless and he's perfect and he holds all power in his hand. And yet as he's suffering, he continually, he kept entrusting himself to his father. If Jesus needed to persevere through suffering by continuing to submit himself and turn himself over, the word entrust literally means to turn yourself over he continued to turn himself over to his Father. And if Jesus needed to do that, we need to do that. It's not just a, that's just a one-time thing that we do. It's like, I mean, sometimes we just think about the Christian faith and we think, you know what, well, you know, I did that. I, I, I trusted Christ. I, I did that. No, keep trusting him. Keep coming to him. Keep turning yourself over to him. Keep surrendering to him. Keep seeking his will. Keep obeying him. You can't just, it's just not one and done, folks. you got to keep going to Him. Christ was steadfast in turning Himself over to the will of the Father because He knew that the Father was doing what was right. I can't even begin to wrap my mind around that. Jesus was on His way to, to a cross. He's been beaten. He's bloody. He can barely walk. And... And yet, he knew that his father was doing what was right. Sometimes, I know know when suffering comes my way, that's not where my my thought process is. I'm not thinking God knows what he's doing. So, at least not initially. It takes discipline. It It takes time to stop. To stop reacting and to think about. The promises and the truths that God's given us in his word so that we can respond in a way that that reflects our trust in what God is doing in that moment and in that difficult time. I think it's interesting Peter's choice of words when he describes God calling him the one who judges righteously. God always does what's right but he judges righteously. The Son of God was on His way to the cross in an unjust manner. And He knew that His Father was a righteous judge. And He knew that those people were going to be held accountable. And He knew what that would look like. Which is why I think He prayed for their forgiveness. Because He knew the Father's wrath. It's interesting, that's The example that we see in Christ, but it's also the instruction that He gave even before He reached that point in His life. How do we deal with our enemies? We pray for them. Right? Pray for your enemies. Serve those, right, who despitefully use you. That's hard. That's hard, but that, but when we really trust God's plan, God's purpose, and God's will, then we are able to follow through in obedience. You know, we we get going through life so fast that everything's just a reaction. We just, we have so many things coming at us. We're so busy That we don't have time to think about things. We just, we just we just go and we do and we react and we respond and, and we just you know just looking for the you know just trying to get through the end of the day. We need to slow down. And we need to focus on Christ and what He's done and what His will is for us. We're given another great example of this in Scripture. The Apostle Paul speaks to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and he talks about a thorn in the flesh that he received. And and this, this thorn was given to him. This was a struggle that Paul had. Now, Paul, in, 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 that, in that chapter, Paul talks about these visions that he was given. But so that he wouldn't exalt himself, God gave him a thorn in the flesh. This is what he says in verses 7 through 9. He says, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, To keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Paul goes on and says, most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness. So that the power of Christ may dwell in me. That's the attitude we're called to have in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of injustice, to understand that when we're weak, God's strength is manifested. When we're we're failing, it shows how good and strong and faithful God is. So we we look at these examples and and we look at Paul and we look at Christ and we see this thing that God's given us, this, this instruction that he's given us, this this really works. This isn't just a story in a, in a book. This is this is life. This is reality. And if you've, and, and I know a lot of you have experienced this in your own life, that when you've gone through difficulty and you've gone through hardship, that the Lord has walked with you through those difficult times, even, even as you failed to honor him as you ought to. Because we all do. But the the greater that we glorify him in the midst of our suffering the greater he manifests himself through us in those difficult times. We have to continually turn ourselves over to his will and his purpose. And by doing that, we draw strength to endure through the grace that is promised to us. His grace is sufficient. So Peter has shown us his suffering, his sinlessness, his steadfastness, And then he focuses on his substitution. Or you could say his sacrifice. Or you could even say the salvation that he provides for us. Here in verse 24 he says, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. The tragedy of the cross accomplished the full satisfaction of God's wrath against sin. The most, one of the most horrid scenes, fathomable. One of the most horrible things that ever has happened in the history of mankind. And yet God used it to accomplish the greatest work that's ever been done on our behalf. The redemption of our souls. Jesus came as our substitute to pay the penalty that we were unable to pay for ourselves do you know what that means anybody ever experienced debt anybody ever have any debt anybody ever have any debt you think you're never going to get out of i mean if you haven't experienced that let me let me just let me just paint a scenario for you okay let's just say you're late for an appointment You've got to get up to Spring Hill, which you know is impossible. You're never going to make it. But you're heading north on Nashville Highway, and, and you're cruising along and, you know, the best you can. You know, you're trying to pick your way through traffic. You're going along. All of a sudden, a deer runs out in front of you. You slam on your brakes. You go sideways. You run into the car behind you, or beside you, rather. Run into the car beside you. It forces somebody else across the meeting. They hit somebody else. Before you know it, you've got 12, 13, 14 cars all wrecked. People, there's ambulances and life flight, and everybody comes up, and guess what? It's your fault. Well, how far do you think your insurance is going to pay for any of that? It's not going to go very far. But how many people do you think are going to bring lawsuits against you for medical bills and and property damage and all that? Guess what? You owe a debt you can never repay. Even if you win the lottery, you're not paying that off. And Jesus comes along and he says, put it on my bill. That's what it means for him to pay a debt that we couldn't pay. When it comes to our sin, we can't can't pay the full debt of our sin. We can't. Because every time we sin against God, it's a death sentence. The wages of sin is death. So every time you sin against God, it's a death sentence. Well, how many times do you think you can die? You can only pay for your sin in part. You could never pay for it in full. But Christ, the eternal Son of God, came to do that very thing. He came to be a substitute for us. He came to pay the penalty for our sin, and not just to forgive us. Not, I mean, that as glorious as that is, God did so much more in sending Jesus Christ to the cross for our sins than just providing forgiveness. I mean, he, just, he didn't just wipe our, clay, our, excuse me, our slate clean. He did that. He, he wiped the slate clean, but he brought us back into a relationship with our Heavenly Father a relationship that was destroyed by sin. I want to share just an illustration with you that, that um, uh, Jim Cordes, while we were in Vietnam a couple weeks ago, um, he used this in, in, in one of the classes, and, and he, just, he just drew this picture. And if you can't tell what this is, I mean, it's just stick figures, right? But uh, this, is, this is God, okay, or Jesus here, and then this is Adam and Eve, right? And we know that when, when Adam and Eve sinned, right, The relationship was broken, right? Andrew, come here. Fix it. Okay. Can't fix it, can you? Betty, can you fix that? I cannot. I won't even try. So... Even if we had some tape available, can we put it back together the way that it was? We we can't fix what sin has broken. But Christ can, and he did. And when he restores that relationship, it's just as perfect as it was meant to be. That's what it means for Christ to be our substitution. That's what it means for him to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. I think Peter puts this here to remind us that Christ endured suffering for our benefit in order that we might be encouraged to endure for his name's sake, for his gospel, for his church. If Jesus suffered and gave so much for us, what is it for us to endure for him? So we see his suffering. And then the final aspect of Jesus' example, we see in the last part of verse 24, is his sanctifying work. He says there, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by His wounds you were healed. He isn't just our substitute, He isn't just our Savior. He has a plan and a purpose for us. He he works continuously to sanctify us. That is to conform us into His likeness. to, To work in us holiness and to work in us Christ-likeness. He didn't go to the cross. He didn't endure all of those things that we've just talked about so that we could just have the assurance of heaven and then just go about doing whatever we want to do whenever. He did it to change us from the inside out. He did it to produce in us a life of faith so that our lives might demonstrate the healing that has taken place. Peter says, by his wounds we are healed. I think think healing doesn't even go far enough to describe what Christ did for us. We We weren't just healed in the sense of we were sick and he made us better. We were dead and he made us alive. In Ephesians 2, it says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and and then in verse 4, it says, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgression, made us alive together with Christ. He didn't just heal us from illness, he brought us from death to life. And he continues to work in us on a daily basis to produce life in us so that we might Produce life in others. And one of the primary ways that that God works in us to sanctify us is through our suffering. It's through suffering. Just as the examples we looked at earlier, it's through suffering. Christ heals us, He brings us to life, He declares us righteous before God. He is our example. We see in him suffering, sinlessness, steadfastness, substitution, sanctification. All of these things given to us as a pattern so that we might persevere through injustice and so that we might submit to the authorities that God has placed over us in order that he might be glorified in us. And that we might enjoy the experience of grace. And we move from the example of Christ to the experience of grace. Verse 25, for you were continually straying like sheep. But now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Now, I've never owned sheep. But from what I understand, they are very dumb animals. It is not a flattering thing to be called sheep. But yet, the Bible repeatedly refers to us in this manner. We need a shepherd. We need to be led. We need that direction. We think we've got it all together, but we, we don't. And so Peter returns to this imagery from Isaiah 53, and he reminds us that we have, and, and he says, listen, he says, you, have, you were continually straying like sheep, because that's what sheep do. I mean, you put them here, and you say, look, here's good grass. Stay here and eat, and then you walk away, and then they, they wander off. And we do the same thing. We, the, 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 the Lord has given us his word. He says, this is good for you. All right? Take it, digest it, eat of it, nurture, you know, feed on it, strengthen yourself in it. And we say, okay, God. And we do that for a little while, and then we kind of go over here, and then we go over here, and then we go over here. And before you know it, we've gotten so far away from God's word, we don't even recognize it anymore continually straying, continually straying. He says, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls because through Christ, through the example of what he's done, through his suffering, we have been brought back into that relationship to the shepherd. You know that word shepherd, it's the same word that's translated as pastor. And the, the word guardian in the New American Standard, it's the same word, it's the Greek word episkopos, it's the same word, it's translated as bishop. Or overseer. I think it's interesting that that Peter chooses to use two words to describe God, which are two words that describe leadership in the church. Because leaders are given to the church to be God's representatives in order that they might guide and teach and lead and strengthen the body of Christ. But he is the great shepherd. He is the great bishop, the great overseer. And we need him more than we need any human leader, and he does more for us than any human leader could ever do. And the picture that Peter's giving us here is this one of reconciliation and restoration, this one that has brought us back to our great shepherd. And as a shepherd, what does God do for us? He he feeds us. He protects us. He guides us. He watches over us. Of course, overseer, that's overseeing too, right? I mean, it's protection. It's oversight. He's guarding us. And and I love what he says. He's He's not just watching over and, and guarding in our lives, but our very souls. It, it never ceases to amaze me the number of people that, that deny the security of our salvation when God's watching over our souls. I mean, we're, we're, not, we're not watching over it ourselves. He's watching over it. Amen. He's not, we're not holding him. He's holding us. You know, Jesus said in John 10, 29, he says, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. We are secure in him. You know what we call that? Grace. Grace. God's undeserved favor, his salvation, his sanctification, his security. All grace. And all given to everyone who comes to him with a repentant heart and a willingness to trust in him alone. For forgiveness and eternity. We're going to continue to experience injustice in this world. There there are things that we can do to to help offset it and to to go against it and and honor God at the same way. But it's, it's still going to be here because the world's full of sinful people. So we're still going to suffer injustice. But that doesn't have to be a discouraging thing for us. That doesn't have to depress us. That doesn't have to get us down. Because our God is in control. Because he is sovereign over everything that happens in our life. And we can trust in his promises. We can trust in his purposes. Our only responsibility and all that is just simply obedience. Follow Christ. Follow his example. Do what he says to do. Consider what he said. Consider what he's done, consider the endurance he went through, and then follow in his footsteps. That's how we persevere through injustice. That's how the name of Christ is glorified in us. So I just want to close tonight with the same question we closed with this morning. And it's actually the same question we should close with any time we walk away from Scripture after, after reading it and studying it is, will you believe what it says? understanding that believing means obeying. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you tonight and we just, we thank you for the example that Christ has given us and we thank you most of all for the grace which is extended to us when we believe. Father, I know so often in our lives we say we believe and yet we struggle with belief. we feel like the the father who came to Jesus and asked for healing for his son who said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Father, I know that's where a lot of us are this evening. So let that be our prayer. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Lead us to obey you in all things, to trust your word despite circumstances, despite what we think will be the outcomes. Lord, but lead us to submit to the authorities that you've given us. Lead us to honor you in every difficulty that we go through. And let us walk in accordance with your truth for the glory of your great and holy name. And we ask this in the precious name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. I think we're going to close with a hymn this evening. Yes, we have a new one that.